Blog Talk Radio. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another season and another edition of the R Big Show. This is RU Fan Jerry, and I am uh, excited to be back on the air. I'm doing a podcast uh, as we head into the beginning and the start of the college football season. Uh, right now, sitting back, flipping the channels, watching some uh, decent college football, the Big Ten football, Utah hosting uh, the Michigan Wolverines in Utah, and we have also the Minnesota Gophers uh, hosting number two ranked TCU. So college football is back with a bang. And, of course, uh, this show is a Rutgers show, and Rutgers, uh, put out a lot of information and a lot of news uh, today. So uh, we are definitely going to call and uh, discuss that. I am definitely welcoming and encouraging phone calls. Uh, please keep them uh, uh, cordial if we uh, do get to those discussions. Um, the guest calling number is 914-338-1694. And uh, just before we jump right to it, you know, I always say um, you know, I, the thing that's great about college football is how it is a year-round sport. Um, uh, we were watching uh, South Carolina, North Carolina earlier, and it, it, it seems like uh, a long, long time ago when it was uh, Rutgers playing uh, the Tar Heels in North Carolina in the uh, uh, the bowl game where they you know, totally dominated them. And uh, eight months goes by, but you know immediately after that bowl game, of course, came the recruiting season. And right after uh, that, you have spring practice and then heads into uh, the summer and then August camp. Of course, August for, for Rutgers this year, summer camp was was uh, a lot more intrigued in terms of who was going to be the starting quarterback. Uh, of course, uh, 10 days ago, uh, that was announced in, in a sort of a surreal situation that kind of was a precursor to this week where – uh, we never actually found out who the starter was, um, but we know that uh, the uh, uh, Reddick uh, era will begin um, this weekend, this Saturday, as, as Rutgers hosts um, the Norfolk State in um, High Point Solution Stadium on Saturday. And just a quick, yeah, I'm sure we all are aware of what has transpired today where uh, it was announced that five Rutgers players were, were arrested um, uh, for you know, over two incidences, in, in particular um, an armed robbery as well as an aggravated assault uh, that took place. And uh, this on the heels of, as I mentioned, an incident uh, last week where uh, a couple of players were suspended for breaking curfew. Uh, one of those uh, in, was uh, Laviano, as I mentioned, and surrounding the whole affair of Coach Flood and his uh, email to a, a uh, assistant professor or a lecturing professor regarding one of his players, which is a, a no-no in terms of the uh, school uh, guidelines of how interaction should take place with the academic world. So uh, a very, very, very uh, windy and, and upworld uh, um, week. So without further ado, I want to put on – uh, a friend of the show, Sam Hellman, who's uh, from Scout.com, from ScarReport.com, who's been on the show before and, and, and is kind of uh, right on top of this uh, story that's going on. Uh, so I, I welcome uh, Sam to the show. Hey, Jerry. Thanks hey, for uh, having me on. I uh, wish it were under better circumstances for the big show. Yeah, you know, I was um, spending a little time on on, on uh, Scar Report, and I saw you uh, you know, you've been busy <laughs> today. Uh, uh, you know, like you said, not the way you want to, but uh, you know, definitely some interesting times. Yeah, usually Thursdays are about you know injury updates and who's going to start and who's going to get reps. But that, that was the farthest thing from everybody's mind today, as you documented in your intro. 
Yes, yeah, so I, I appreciate you coming on. I kind of, you know, uh, was was planning on doing my first show next week after the first game. You know, fortunately, these games, these Norfolk, you know, type games, I mean, obviously, it's, there's some intrigue and interest in them, but it's, it's, you know, kind of functions as a preseason game, and, and then the excitement kicks in. And I think, you know, looking forward to the game, I wanted to see how the quarterbacks played, and, you know, now we have a totally different focus uh, over these next two days before the football starts. Uh, but let me ask you, because I know your time is tight. You, uh, earlier in the day, you know, we were all sitting there waiting to hear what Flood was going to say. You know, one of the things I was interested with if there was going to be any word on, on Barnwell. Uh, you know, usually they, they have this compliance report and we might get some ideas. And then it came out there was no word and kind of segued into this. Uh uh, you know, when Flood first started uh, talking, um, did he know what was about to um, transpire? Yeah, he did. Uh, the The arrests took place in the morning. Police arrived before practice, so they they knew what was going on, and they wanted to respect, obviously, the process of you know New Brunswick Police and Rutgers University in terms of saying anything, which is why Flood didn't comment or bring up the situation during his brief press conference today, to me, just the strangeness of the day, I've never in my eight years at Rutgers been stopped by police trying to drive into the Hale Center before. And when that happens on your way into practice, you know something something wrong is going on. And from from the next two hours, I mean, as everything unfolded and, and I got more information and obviously reported it, it was a, it was a rough day. It was a strange day and uh, not a fun day if you're a Rutgers fan, that's for sure. Now, um, let me ask you in terms of, of once the news is reported, uh, and do you believe that, you know, kind of there was any knowledge in amongst uh, Rutgers officials um, about this upcoming, you know, I guess investigation or arrest, and perhaps that's why we haven't heard of, of a resolution to the whole email situation with uh, Nadir Barnwell? Uh, personally, this is just my personal belief here. This isn't a fact or anything, but I don't really see the two as related at all. I think it's an unlucky string of events, uh, and obviously a lot of poor choices made by Nadir Barnwell over the last year. I don't think that the investigation into Kyle Flood's email uh, with the university, I don't think that has anything to do with the timing of these arrests or the way that the university handled uh, the arrests today. Right, right. Yeah, and I was thinking more in terms of, I guess, more of a resolution to the uh, investigation on the emails, you know, where they'd taken some, so long because perhaps they knew there was uh, additional information that was going to come out. But, you know, it seems like, like you said, it might just be two separate events, and um, Rutgers really not known for, being a public relations, uh, you know, uh, machine in terms of how they handle the flow of of, of information. So uh, it, it makes a lot of sense there. Now, Julie Herman was the one who actually uh, is really charged or, or or kind of was given the, uh, not the power, but was given the voice of suspending these players and not Kyle Flood, uh, being that these are his football players, I mean, th- is that something to read into, or was that just something that she was kind of trying to get out there ahead of the storm? You know, I, th- I think it's a very good question. It was certainly strange. Now, Julia Herman announced the suspension. She, she released a statement about an hour after the police reports came out. That doesn't mean that she was technically the one that suspended them. It was just the choice by Rutgers to have her be the voice of this situation, but that alone, that's very strange. I mean, you look at, you know, look at the Rutgers suspensions last week. Those were not announced by Julie Herman. You look at, you know, 95% of suspensions, and they don't usually go through the athletic director like that. So, yeah, I found that strange. But with Kyle Flood under investigation, maybe they just didn't want him commenting on it yet. Right, and and uh, it's a good point. I mean, and it definitely leaves a lot to wonder whether. A, the university is distancing themselves from Flood um, and, and you know, in that same way, perhaps empowering Herman as the athletic director that's stepping in. But, you know, it's it's a little bit too early to uh, kind of speculate uh, on that end. But um, let me ask you, really, could you describe, you know, the scene in terms of 
the you know maybe shock or or even like the uh, the player's attitude or or, or you know um, way of, of surprise as as this was taking place. I think shock is a great word, and then once once they get over the shock, it's almost like the you know the five stages of grief where you get to that acceptance point, you get to that angry point, and I think that's where Rutgers is right now. You see. These players and these coaches, they, they just want to play football. They believe in their head coach. There's no question that everyone in the Hale Center supports Kyle Flood when it comes to him being a head coach. The, the players love him at Rutgers, and the fact that four, five, six, seven guys made these mistakes that reflect so poorly on the head coach, frankly, I think that just pisses these guys off. Uh, you know, the, the there's 95 guys on this roster that have been – working their butts off, doing all the right things. And there's, you know, 11 assistant coaches doing the exact same thing. And for this to happen to them two days before uh, the start of the season, I, I think there's a lot of anger in that Hale Center, and that's going to be directed towards the football field. Now, there's two um, kind of um, questions that I have. And, and uh, uh, well, I guess maybe one more of a question statement. But, you know, when you look at it's very interesting that, the concentration of the players, uh, the the group of players, are concentrated really on one position, and that's in the secondary position. And uh, you know, actually, you know, Ruhan Peel, who been moved over to um, cornerback, obviously Barnwell, cornerback Boggs, starting cornerback Stevenson, safety. Uh, you know, I know Gross was a, a fullback, but um, you know, even Johnson, T.J. Johnson was involved. Was a former um, defensive back. Well, in you know, Dorian Daly over the spring vacation, and uh, it's it's kind of odd that you have this group, and and obviously when you take Peel and Barnwell who have been involved in other incidents, it, it begs the the question is, uh, you know, I don't want to call anyone troublemaker or any kind of situation, but if people have multiple incidents, and particularly with a group of players, it makes you wonder if there was other things that may have happened, and are, are we kind of going to be, hopefully not, but hearing other stories coming out in the future. Uh, honestly, I, I wouldn't be surprised if you, you hear more in the future because it, it really just feels like dominoes at this point. But it, it, you mentioned it's a great point that a lot of these guys are coming from the secondary. And it's honestly, it's pretty easy to see why, because look at the situation that this secondary has been left in year after year. Sometimes you got to take a flyer on a guy that has some red flags when you're recruiting him and they've desperately needed cornerbacks the last three or four years. I think that they're willing to take a flyer on some guys that, like I said, have those high school red flags, maybe have troubled pasts, because they desperately need bodies at that position. You know, Rutgers is incredibly deep at running back, so you can be pickier when it comes to the character of the players you recruit. But at cornerback, I mean, look, you, you recruited Bless on Austin in January, and he's already the top corner on the roster. You there's so little depth there that you got to take some risks. And and that's a absolutely great point. I mean, in terms of, of the right. And, and, you know, no one wants to speculate on what they knew about them before, but that's you right. Know, when you see someone, you know, in the case, even of, of Peel, who was also involved with the players who were breaking curfew, you know, just can't seem to make the right decisions and keeping himself out of problems. Uh, you know, you, you have to wonder, you know, as you said, if we're going to hear stories that might have been swept under the rug regarding some of these players because, uh, you know, even just the two separate incidents that were found out, it sounds like one came out when, you know, perhaps one of the players talking about the other players in incident. So uh, that's a concern. And then that leads to constant potential for news, uh, you know, coming out negatively against, uh, you know, the program. So, uh, hopefully that's not the case, but that that could be uh, something to to look forward to. Yeah, I mean it's uh, it does seem like a windfall, and you have guys like Ruhan Peel and Nadir Barnwell that have had trouble, documented trouble at Rutgers. That you know, what Kyle Flood put himself, put his good name on the line to keep these guys around, and you know, look at look at how they repaid him. Uh, Kyle Flood's getting killed in the media right now because of the actions of these guys that he stuck his neck out for. And that's the kind of thing where I think you're seeing that anger from the Rutgers players that are still there, from the coaches, from, you know, the fans that, you know, sometimes one or two guys can really, really change things in a bad way. 
and that's a great point. And I think uh, you, you saw that, you know, obviously with social media, people can react very quickly and get a message out. Darius Hamilton coming out, they're very strong. Uh, you know, we already saw, uh, you know, uh, former players like Sean O'Hara, you know, even, even uh, uh, media like uh, Chris Carlin and people coming to support Florida, who's gotten that reputation of, of a family, you know, program and being the guy that, that you know, just ran a, a good type of, uh, place you want to be, um, but then now we have to worry about you know was he too lax and you know perhaps uh, you know Hondasiano. One thing we all heard over the years is that uh, not a fun guy to deal with. I mean, once he, you know he had that incident with the Buccaneers about uh, you know with the last play of the game, you heard many stories about guys you know uh, scouts not feeling welcome, but. He obviously instilled a fear on in his team and players, and, and you wonder whether players getting second chances kind of leads to a a, a uh, little bit of more of a lax uh, atmosphere. Yeah, it's uh, it, 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 Kyle Floyd. It, you know, we all saw it right away when he took this job that in a lot of ways he wanted to be the opposite of Greg Schiano. Greg Schiano was the ultimate disciplinarian, and and he got a ton of flack for it. Kyle Floyd wanted to be a player's coach. That's what he is, and the players love him. But I think now, moving forward, Kyle Flood knows it. He, he's got to he's got to be stricter with these guys because you give them too much leeway, and, and look what happens. Yeah, you know now, kind of shifting gears because there is obviously a game coming up on, on Saturday. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, you have these arrests, uh, and then you have the uh, suspensions already in place. Uh, um, half quarter, uh, half for the half of uh, the first game. Um, Carew was involved in there, and uh, you know, obviously Labiano. Uh So, who's going to start on on Saturday? As you know, best case scenario is supposed to be Boggs and Barnwell. Um, definitely, Boggs is going to be starting. So, who's actually going to be out there in corner on Saturday? Uh, you know, I'd love to have the 100% answer to this, but I think that those meetings are going on uh, as we speak. At this point, Blisson Austin is the top cornerback on this roster, and I would say that regardless of Nadir Barnwell and Dre Boggs, Austin is an incredible talent. He's an NFL talent. He's the best cornerback on this roster, and he's going to start for sure. Aside from that, it's really a, you know, a toss-up. A redshirt freshman Isaiah Wharton did not have a great training camp, but at this point he's the starter based on uh, – you know who's available. He'll he'll probably start it, uh, against Norfolk State, and then true freshman Jarius Adams from Dwyer High School in Jacksonville becomes that third cornerback. W- what I'm interested to see: where does Anthony Chaffee play? Uh, you know he's going to have to start at free safety with Deion Stevenson suspended, but he's also one of the better cornerbacks they have. Do you have a free safety that can step in for him? Do you look at moving Justin Goodwin back to cornerback? It, you know, there's a lot of questions here. And I don't think that we're going to have any answers until uh, you're sitting in your seats on Saturday. Now, um, uh, and, and Ty Hester is unavailable because of injury. Is that correct? He he is listed as out with a lower body injury on Monday. We were supposed to get an updated injury report today. Uh, given you know the firestorm that happened, uh, that injury report never came. But no, I don't expect Ty Hester to be available on Saturday. Okay, so so very 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 thin, and uh, I guess as you said, I wouldn't be surprised to see uh, uh, you know Goodwin being moved over if not a, that hasn't already happened uh, uh, in terms of uh, you know getting some depth out there. And Andre Hunt's another guy that we may see also coming in at the safety um, position. Now on the offensive side of the ball, it's uh, you know obviously with with Carew's out, um, I would also make the start along with Patton. Um, last I heard that it is possible still that Laviano will still play um, on Saturday, kind of a decision that we made by flood. Yeah, Laviano's definitely going to play. The, the question is, will it be only in mop-up duty like you see, you know, at the end of a Norfolk State-type game, or will he get, you know, he, for all I know, he, he could come out and start the first series of the third quarter. Um, I think that the coaching staff has made it clear that they, they trust in Laviano and what he can do when it comes to decision-making. Hayden Reddick's the starter for now, but honestly, after about 30 minutes on Saturday, he may not be the starter anymore. If Chris Laviano comes in, 
make some plays, he might very well be the starter moving forward. Yeah, and I think one thing that is interesting is um, it's almost tough to evaluate, you know, Redding. Um, you know, obviously, if he lights it up, it's you know he's going to have that benefit. But you almost want to see him also get a chance to work with Carew. So I, I don't know personally. I, I kind of would like to see him have that chance at least in the third quarter. Uh, you know, so we'll see how that that shakes out in terms of the game. But um, <laughs> you know, it'll be interesting. A lot of guys are going to get opportunities, and I guess uh, that will help. Uh, you know, in terms of, of depth, if not all of these players are are indefinitely or, or kick basically kicked off the team, uh, there will be some depth, you know, at, at these positions. But uh, it could be a tough, tough season in terms of the secondary uh, uh, this season. Uh, you know, akin to a couple of years ago. Now, let me ask you. Um, you know, I guess away from the football side, away from the news side. Uh, you know, there's obviously going to be a lot of talk about Flood and Coach Flood in terms of his support and and depending on what comes out of the email investigation, I like to say, uh, you know, what do you think and, and do you think that are you hearing anything or is there any buzz that uh, his job is in jeopardy? I, do I think that he's going to get fired because of this? No, I don't. But it, it is technically a possibility you know the the phrase that i've used all week all options are on the table he could you know he could be fired for this i don't think that's going to happen most people don't think that's going to happen uh and i don't really expect any decision until next week at this point this investigation has dragged on quite a bit robert barchi the president hasn't been around rutgers until he returned on monday um at this point, look, my personal, you know, educated guess, I guess you would call it, would be a brief suspension for him. But uh, really anything's on the table. It could be as simple as, you know, uh, an admonishment, and it could be as serious as him getting fired. I, I don't expect him to get fired. Let me repeat that. But uh, it is technically possible. Right. And I think that's, you know, the tough part is even in a, in a suspension, and luckily next week is coming up, to a pretty important game when they play Washington State because, uh, you know, last year kind of you know, set the tone for the team pulling out those close games. And, uh, you know, you look at the schedule, we all know the Big Ten part of it. Uh, you, you know, you have to steal and win these non-conference games and certainly doesn't make life easier if your coach is not around. And, uh, you know, everyone will go ahead and do their job, but there's just certain things that people are used to every week and if the head coach is not involved, uh, it, it does make the job harder. But, you know, as you said, I think the guys will, you know, clamp down and kind of want to show people too. So, uh, you know, hopefully that, that'll be a, a motivating factor. But, you know, Sam, I appreciate you um, coming on and, and uh, you know, giving your insight on, on this, you know, interesting uh, time. Uh, now, you know, before I let you go, you know, what can fans, I guess, expect next in terms of the coverage and, and I guess, you know, what do you think is going to happen over the next week? Or are they going to be able to shift the story to football, or are we going to be basically uh, dealing with this over the next week or so, or two weeks uh, until something settles? You know, with with the, the state of, of media today, I don't think this is going to go away anytime soon. I mean, it's too, too hot of an issue. Uh, people love to focus on the negative, and I think that that's what's going to happen until – probably until we get to Penn State week. That's when the real football starts. But let me just say before you let me go, uh, I just, you know, look, I went to Rutgers. I've been around this program for eight years now since I was 18 years old. And whatever you think of what Kyle Flood's done, whatever you think of Greg Schiano, of Julie Herman, of these players, you, you got to keep in mind that 99% of Rutgers University is doing everything the right way. Uh, th- this is a school that, you know, people from New Jersey want to be proud of, and, and there's a lot of people doing special things at Rutgers that I don't think get the credit they deserve. Um, whenever you have one or two bad eggs, it, it kind of ruins things for everybody, but you've got to keep in mind that you may not see it in the newspapers, you may not see it on Twitter, but 99% of Rutgers University is really about doing the right thing. Uh, that's a great point. Great point. And I think, honestly, you know, you'll see it, you know, most of the people really feel that way, and you know, you'll see it in the support in the stands and you'll see it, uh, you know, out there around in the parking lots on Saturday. But, uh, 
as you said, it's, it's definitely a tough world with the way the media is, and, and um, you know, it's it is what it is, and, and there were some bad decisions, and uh, they will have to uh, uh, you know ride through the storm. But the good thing, the kids get to play football, so uh, uh, you know they get to do that in the field. So we'll see. But Sam, appreciate you uh, coming on, and uh, we'll talk again in the future. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, and uh, see you Saturday. All right. Take it easy. Yep. See ya. Well, everybody, um, thanks uh, again for Sam coming on the show. I'm going to open up uh, the lines for anyone that wants to call in. Uh, you know, um, I appreciate uh, those who are listening and want to talk about Rutgers. So uh, uh, the number to call in is 914-338-1694. Um, and then, you know, hopefully have a little bit of time to uh, chat about the upcoming season because, uh, you know, there is a whole season to look forward to. Um, so with that, I'm going to welcome um, my first caller uh, to the show. Uh, welcome to the Our Big Show. Uh, who am I speaking with? This is Kyle. I was uh, just talking on Twitter, FBLB. All right. Hey, welcome to the show. Uh, uh, so you mentioned that you were, you've were been hitting the waves uh, um, talking Rutgers football today. Yeah, so I, I called. Somebody had alerted me that 101.5 had posed a question, and they said, um, they think the Rutgers football season should be canceled, and obviously I'm not going to let anybody say that. So, um, you know, I obviously I called up, I got through, and when I was speaking with him, I basically said, well, first and foremost, the guy had his stats wrong. He said that there was five players involved in a string of burglaries, which there wasn't. We all know it was Andre Bob, T.J. Johnson. So, um, obviously, T.J. is not with the program anymore. Andre is. He's probably soon will be let go from the program, but. Um, I, I really wanted to put things into perspective, and if you look at this from a perspective standpoint, you know, we had one current player who was involved in home invasions, which is, you know, really not acceptable. He's got to be kicked off the team, no doubt about it. Um, then you have four players who are involved in a fight. So I know it, it, it doesn't look good. It says it's an assault. It says it's unprovoked. Uh, but from the things that I've heard from some people, it was an argument. The argument got heated. Somebody made a comment um, that they probably shouldn't have made, and that is what kind of broke the fight out. Now, they weren't, when they say unprovoked, um, you know, the guys, and I won't mention names, but um, one of the guys on the football team had thrown the first punch, and it wasn't like they had, uh, they didn't, like, stomp someone out or anything of that sort. But anyway, you know, really what it is, I think what it comes down to is Nadir Barnwell, Ruan Peel, um, DUI, academic issues, um, you know, really, you know, how many shots are you going to give him to Deer Barnwell? Kid's a crazy talent, but unfortunately it just looks like he doesn't want to seize the opportunity. Ruan Peel, we all know, he's had more than his fair share of opportunities. So I think what's going to happen is those two are going to be let go. What, what I'm interested to see, though, is if Stevenson and Gross are welcomed back. Um, what I found pretty interesting today was when I was looking at the bells that were set, uh, Delon Stevenson's bail was 75000 um, whereas Barnwell, uh, Gross, and Peels was only 25000 Um So that leads me to believe that, you know, and I don't want to imply anything, but uh, maybe Delon Stevenson played a little bigger role. Even though this is his first strike, I'm curious to see what happens with him. Now, you know, that's a good, a good point, and, uh, you know, I didn't look into that in terms of the actual bail amounts, uh, that were posted, and and I like I think like what you said, you don't want to focus too much on on the incidents themselves, and it kind of gets caught up in, in defending the incidents. Um, but you are right; it's it's certainly you have to be careful with how people explain this. It's not five separate um, you know assaults or, or five separate attempted robberies. It's two incidents. Uh, not reading too much into it, it sounds like uh, you know Johnson was involved in both. And and if Johnson perhaps was discussing one and the other one came up, uh, it was kind of a situation where you know these stories came out. Which though I mentioned to Sam, which concerns me a little bit because it's all concentrated on a group of players that spend a lot of time with each other. And uh, you know again bringing back Bailey from the previous uh, uh, this happened in April. Um, you know a concern if there may have been other issues that seem small by themselves that may start to come by right. And you know maybe these guys got into an argument with someone else and someone else. And now all those stories start to come out. And that's one of the things I have, I have an issue with. And you bring up a good, good point with Peel and Barnwell. These are players who got second chances. So did Flood in his approach to handling situations by giving second chances kind of 
create an atmosphere where people know, well, you know, at the end of the day, in the back of my head, I'm not going to be kicked out of for doing this. And I, and I wonder whatever it was that was Seattle had done for 10 years, uh, we didn't see many of these things happen. So that's something that in a short period of time has, has multiplied and, and it's, it's an interesting uh, concept. Sure, yeah. And I think the other question we got to ask ourselves is, um, you know, there's over 100 kids in the program. You, you can, you know, Kyle Flood cannot monitor them 24-7, 365. So, at a, you know, at a certain point, these players have to be held accountable for their own actions. You can't just say, you know, oh, you know, Kyle Flood's the coach, so it's his fault. Um, let's fire the guy. You know, honestly, what could have Kyle done here? I, I understand some people say, you know, maybe he took some chances with some kids because, you know, that's one of the reasons why he can get some of these talented kids like an Andre Box. There was red flags there. Um, you know, you look into things like that and you got to feel for the guy because, you know, he's, you know, if you've ever, you know, been in Kyle Flood's presence, he's a great guy, high character guy. Um, he's a guy I'd want, you know, I'd, I'd leave my kids with that guy. Um, but with that being said, you know, at, at sometimes I think he's nice to a fault. I think he, you know, gives people the benefit of the doubt, including his players. And he wants to see everybody succeed. And I think that's why he gives these second chances. But, you know, I, I really feel for the guy because he can't monitor these kids, you know, all hours of the day. What these kids do on their free time, that's what they do on their free time. He can't just, you know, have somebody following them around all day. Now, first, I want to jump back to your original uh uh, when you discussed um, 101.5, and I think us as as to follow the program and fans, and you know, always take a step back and, and realize that these these guys, the media, are going to throw out these comments for polarizing reasons. Uh, you know, uh, you know, obviously shutting down the program for um, as you and, and let's be honest, in this case, you know, this it be as as horrible or as disappointing as we are in these incidents. You know, are certainly not something that are so uncommon in the world of college football. Uh, so you're going to hear a lot of things that are, are thrown out there to get re- fan reaction. You know, obviously 101.5, uh, there was, uh, you know, a lot of talk about uh, the coverage from NJ.com. So uh, it, it will be out there and it's going to continue to just get out there as, as they try to make money. And that's what their job is to do is to get uh, attention. But um, I think good discussions like you just brought up is, you know, about flood being known as a good person and flood being, you know, perhaps a little bit uh, too nice to a fault. And, and remember, it brings it all back to the football question because at the end of the day, Rutgers is in the Big Ten, Rutgers are trying to win football games, and Rutgers are trying to build a big-time program. When you combine the fact that there have been struggles in keeping the top players in the state home and the pitch has always been, well, this is a family, uh, you know, look at what we have, look at our APR, look at our scores, uh, look at our, our, you know, kids don't get in trouble. But now this is kind of putting a chip in that story. Uh, it, it does, though, um, put a shorter lease on flood, in, in my opinion. Sure, and I would agree with that. I think uh, I think he built up some equity after last year's season. Nobody was really predicting an eight-win season. Quite honestly, I, I predicted Rutgers to either win six or seven in the regular season last year. I just think, you know, the nation was – uh, you know, I'm talking about like the national media was more or less, you know, kind of overhyping what a step it would be for Rutgers to step into the Big Ten because we were always built up as a Big Ten team. Um, but with that being said, again, I, I thought he had built some equity after last season, um, but I think that all that equity goes away. Now he has a blank slate. So I think this year, you know, unfortunately, it's really put up or shut up. Um, I think, you know, his performance on the field, on the field is going to speak for itself. Um, and we're yet to see if he's going to, you know, receive any punishment for the whole email thing, which I think is ridiculous in itself. Um, the fact that, you know, he reached out to a professor and from everything that, you know, has been gathered so far, it looks like more or less he just asked if, you know, Barnwell had an opportunity for extra credit um, or to improve his grade. So I don't think it's like he called the professor and said, listen, you know, I'll give you $50,000 to raise the kid's grade. I need him for this season. Um, he wasn't trying to manipulate the grade. He was just trying to see if there was a way for, you know, his player to improve the grade. And I don't think he had any wrongdoing there. But with that being said, you know, the media blows his stuff up. And I think he lost a lot of the equity he gained. So, again, this year, I think, you know, unfortunately, it's put it for shut-up for him. Yeah, I mean, I, I, the one thing that annoys me from the perspective of uh, I'm always interested in following the media is, is how Rutgers always takes so long in, in responding or sometimes, you know, putting out the incorrect response. Maybe they think that by not by taking their time, um, you know, it's better than putting out the wrong response. But 
you know, I don't care whether guys are on summer break or whatever it is. I mean, any kind of organization you work for, when there's a crisis, the CEO is reachable and every person that it's hands on deck. Uh, you know, here it's, uh, you know, the president's on vacation. He comes back on Monday. And, uh, you know, this happened 10 days ago. Uh, it doesn't sound like it's, you know, we're trying to uncover the most difficult thing in the world. Uh, the coach sent an email to someone and uh, what was in the email, and you read the email. And I don't understand what's taking so long. Uh, and in, while doing that, they create opportunities for other negative headlines to get out there. Like, for instance, yesterday, NJ.com, when that, uh, one of the other advisors said, uh, uh, you know, don't do that. You know, you have 10 days for these guys to snoop around to ask these questions instead of Barky coming out there and saying, look, uh, he was, uh, he was wrong. We're not, that's not policy. You cannot contact the professor. Uh, uh, he's suspended for game one against Norfolk State. Who cares? Right. Instead, right. now they put themselves in a situation where now we have all these arrests. It looks like the program is going crazy. They'll probably feel pressure to suspend them. And potentially now you start to impact the season because he's going to be, you know, maybe suspended a game against the Washington State, which is actually an important game for Rutgers, considering, uh, you know, as we mentioned, going 8-5, and five, you need to win games like this. So that's the thing that still annoys me with their response to, to all of these crises. Right, yeah, going back to your first point, I said the same thing uh, recently on one of the message boards on, uh, on Scarlet Nation. I had said, you know, really, how long does it take for this investigation? You need to pull up one email, you need to talk to the professor, you need to talk to Coach Flood. See what happens. Because there's only three people involved. You know, I understand that the president of the of the faculty union um, might want to get involved here and there. But still, I mean, this story was broken. Um, it was broken one day last week. So how long does it really take to look at that email, talk to coach, talk to professor, and you know, talk to the un- the guy who you know runs this, the uh, faculty union? That really, realistically, in a, in a well-run organization, should not take more than a day, two days max. So. Um, I'm trying to figure out what are they what are they possibly looking for? It was one email, you know, what did the email say? That that's what I'm curious about. Maybe they're looking for past emails he might have sent to other professors. Um, but this specific incident it should have been something that was, you know, completed in maybe a day, two days max. Uh good point. Good point as far as like making sure that there were not other instances and uh, like like I hope not, you know, uh it would right. be a shame it was, but yeah, you know, it's 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 going to be um, you know interesting, and, and I think unfortunately, as I, you know, we were talking about this about the players being concentrated at one position. Uh, you know, it's going to hurt from a football standpoint. Uh, you know, we know Washington State is a team that throws the ball a ton, so uh, I, I definitely you mentioned guys like Stevenson. Um, whether or not you know, look like you said, Boggs is gone. Uh, you know, you figure Peel's gone, Barnwell's gone. So either way, uh, you're dealing with a depleted secondary for the rest of the season. So uh, it's going to, from a football standpoint, impact very quickly, uh, you know, next week uh, when they go up and take on Washington State. So uh, from a football's perspective, we'll see how these things uh, shake out. And, uh, you know, it's a shame that it takes away from what, you know, there was some interest in, in – the quarterback position and seeing how the offensive line was going to respond, like real football questions uh, that would have been taking place. Right, yeah. Now, from a football perspective, I was thinking about this as well. Um, you think about last year when we played uh, we played um, Washington State last year, we had Justin Goodwood making his first start in the secondary. So I remember our secondary last year, we had uh, we had Delon Stevenson at safety. Um, we had Aiken, who was coming down as the uh, as the additional DB, and uh, I'm trying to think of who else we had back there. But I know our two corners to start that game were Goodwin, and it was Glashin. So, you know, from a talent standpoint, um, I still think our starters are just as good in the secondary this year. Maybe if not a little bit better than last year, because quite honestly, I don't think there's that much of a drop off if Trophy goes to free safety, but. What I honestly see is I see Trophy moving down the corner because I don't think they want two freshmen, you know, true freshmen starting at corner. Um, all the reports on Bless Austin have been that the kid's going to be an absolute stud, shut down corner, physical, long, lengthy. So I- I'm pretty confident with him from what I've heard, reports from, you know, different players, different, you know, sources and whatnot. Um, the other corner, you know, that that's to be seen. Are they going to put Trophy there? Are they going to start Jarius Adams? Are they going to put Isaiah Wharton? Um, but what I think ideally happens, you know, right now you probably know, you know, Kai Hester's banged up. He'll probably be back in about two weeks. Get a lower—I don't want to say what it is—but lower body injury. 
Um, anyway, he'll probably be back for the Penn State game. I'd like to see him move to free safety. He's got that range. He's got that speed. Uh, so him at free safety, um, put uh, put either Hunt or obviously Devon Jacobs at strong safety. Then have our two corners, you know, the guys you can rely on being trophy and less often. Um, and then back them up with, you know, guys like Isaiah Wharton. Uh, back them up with guys like Jarius Adams. Um, I think, you know, again, the, the only thing that really, really, truly hurts us is it really crushes our depth. Um, you know, to lose three, four guys in your secondary is never a good thing. So, um, you know, we'll see what happens. Hopefully there's no injuries because if there's injuries, you know, really you're very, very thin at that position. No, and then you're talking, you know, really going to the bottom of the depth charts at that point. And, and it's, you know, it's football, so it's hard to, you know, say let's have no injuries and, and you're already inexperienced. So, you know, it is what it is. I think um, hopefully there's other things such as, you know, a, a better pass rush that can make up for that. Um, and, you know, running the ball, maybe keeping the field, the offense on the field longer. Um, but we'll see, you know. Uh, so you seem to be pretty in tune with what's going on. You know, I, I like to talk a little bit of regular football and not to talk about this situation. Uh, let me ask you, uh, do you have a, a, uh, an opinion on, on Reddick and what you expect to see uh, out of the offense, um, uh, you know, this week? Sure, absolutely. Um, now, I think Reddick is going to open up the offense more than Laviano would have. I think Laviano would have been a good game manager, but obviously, you know, Reddick's ceiling is definitely higher. So, what I'm kind of expecting, obviously, you know, Reddick hasn't seen any live action since he was in high school. So, I'd like to get him warmed up, get the running game established, even though it's, you know, it's only Norfolk State. But um, even after halftime, if we're up by a lot of points, I, I not to say I want to run the score up, but I want to make sure that Reddick is getting at least 25 to 30 throws this game because I want to see him get into a rhythm. Also, in the second half, you're going to have Crew back, so I want to make sure that him and Crew are, you know, operating on the same page in a game. And um, really what I'm interested to see, and I always find this interesting, I played quarterback when I played football, um, you know, seeing the quarterback-center exchange. It's it's something that, you know, I think is often overlooked. The, the center really is, you know, more or less, another version of the quarterback of the offense because they're making all the line calls and whatnot. Having a first-year starter being Derek Nelson, um, it's good in a sense because he's a fourth-year player in the program. He's a redshirt junior. So um, I'm, I'm curious to see how they mesh. Um, again, it's, it's not like he's been playing center for his whole life. I'm really interested to see his shotgun snaps because, you know, if you if you notice Batim Bajari, he never had a bad shotgun snap. His shotgun snaps were perfect. So, that's one thing that I'm interested in seeing, in uh, seeing a couple of the scrimmages. Um, I know, he, not to say he struggled with it, but he had a couple, you know, bad snaps here and there on shotgun. But that's with repetition. You keep repeating that. You keep doing it over and over again. That should, you know, definitely help out. Because I, I honestly feel that Reddick is definitely a better quarterback out of the shotgun. Um, in high school, he played in an offense that was an air raid offense, you know, quarterbacks in the shotgun every single snap. So I think that's where he's most comfortable but obviously in our pro-style offense, he's going to have to get under center more often so we, that, that, that we can establish the run. Um, so I'm definitely excited to see Reddick's got a huge arm. Kid can throw the ball, you know, 75 yards with a flick of a wrist. So um, really excited to see what he brings out. I think Jerry, uh, excuse me, not Jerry, it's Adams, um, Janarian Grant is really going to be a different player this year because he worked on his hands a ton in the offseason. So those drops we saw last year, you know, in particular, you think of the Penn State game, he dropped that ball off his helmet, interception. Um, one that really wasn't Nova's fault, but to see him hauling in more balls, getting him more actively involved, you know, stretching the field with him too, which is something we haven't done yet. I think that's really going to open up the offense. And, um, you know, I'm excited for a new quarterback, you know, Nova, you know, he was really good last year outside of, you know, probably a game or two, but um, just to see a new quarterback for the first time really in four years, you know, really does excite me. So I'm curious, what do you think about, you know, Reddick and, uh, and his abilities? You know, I think I think you know we've all heard the stories about him flipping the ball and you know the kind of arm that he has, uh, and I think you know we definitely would see two types of games called uh, between him and Laviano. You know, like you said, he's more of the game manager, rollouts, and uh, you know he he showed some of that against Nebraska, who, who wasn't expecting it, but you know there was that potential. I think you know no one has favorites, but obviously I I, I like exactly what you said, just the opportunity. What I'm excited about. And it's not just with Reddick, it's also with a, a few of the players in the offensive line. Is seeing someone who's, you know, even though he has not been at Rutgers for three years, but, uh, you know, it's, it's been a while since we haven't been led by a player who came in as a true freshman and then worked his way up. Uh, you, you know, these are guys who, 
you know, it's been three years removed from from high school, and and it's going to have at least a little bit of maturity in terms of of how he prepares, and also, uh, you know, wanting to be in that position. And I think that's going to be something that's interesting. Now, obviously, he has a great arm which means that he also was known in high school to take a lot of chances, and chances could be also good and bad in certain opportunities. And that's why I agree with you. I would like to see him let's go the ball 20, 25 times this game because, uh, you know, it's an opportunity to do it. And, and let's you want to also see how a player does, whether it's not for State, they're going to blitz, they're going to come at you. Let's see how a player reacts under those conditions, and I think that's something I'm looking for. My thing I'm actually more interested, though, is to see this offensive line. I mean, we can talk about the quarterbacks. We can talk about having five good running backs. But if you don't block, you're, you're going to have problems. And uh, I think I'm interested to seeing how they gel. And you mentioned I think everyone's kind of a little happy that Nelson stepped up and took that center position so you don't have to move players around, play not at their best position. But what's good to see is you got guys like Nelson and Lola and Denman that are new starters, but they also have been with the program a few years and three, four years. And I think that's what I want to see the Rutgers do more of in the future, kind of the Michigan State model where guys redshirt and guys grow. Like, these are grown men now. These are big – these are 20-year-old guys playing out there. They may be inexperienced in terms of gameplay, but they're not going to be 18-year-olds trying to block, uh, you know, 20-year-old, 21-year-old guys from Ohio State. So it's it's kind of – I'm interested to see how the offensive line jumps. Sure, and I think that's huge, too, because I think some of these freshmen, you know, the true freshmen at least who are, you know, kind of plugged right in, um, I think there's something to be said about the mindset. Um, when you're in the program four years, you're like, all right, you know, you're mature at this point. You're not wide-eyed and saying, oh, my God, I'm playing college football. Um, you're four years in and you're saying, all right, you know, as a player, you're saying, listen, if I really want to take this seriously and I want to get to the next level, you know, it's time to step up. Um, and, again, you mentioned that these, these guys are more developed as well. The, uh, you know, the concern that I might have, again, Nelson being a new center, obviously there's always concerns when you break in a new center. Um, Miller, uh, Miller, you know, he's not on the taller side, but I don't think that's big a deal. Um, people say, you know, he only weighs 290. We'd like to have our lineman be 300 pounds, but the kid's about 6'1 and a half, 6'2". So him at 290 is equivalent of him being like 6'4 and 3'10", you know, based off height. But um, one of the things I observed last year, I, I, you know, tend to watch the offensive line and pass protection every once in a while. So when Denman was in last year, I noticed he was struggling a little bit with his kick step and, you know, reaching out on defense ends who were going wide on him. Um, and sometimes he would overextend. And when he would overextend, you know, the defense end would take him inside and almost get a free shot at the quarterback. So um, apparently he's worked on that. I haven't really, you know, seen too much out of him. I haven't, you know, didn't really pay attention to him at the open practice, but, um, apparently that's something that he's worked on. So I'm curious to see how that works out too. So hopefully Norfolk can have some sort of a speed rush defensive end so we can see um, exactly how he improved from last year. Because I think uh, people, you know, are saying that Denman, you know, is maybe even an upgrade last year from Taj Alexander. But, you know, it, even if they're just a wash, I think that's still pretty good. So this way you're not falling off there. And then, um, you know, again, if Miller can be serviceable and be, you know, even, you know, near what Caleb Johnson was, very reliable, um, you know, very, very steady guard. I think that'll be a great sign for us. So, you know, really, if the all- offensive line meshes, I always say it starts and ends up front. So you got to go to good offensive line, good defensive line, you know, you're going to win some ball games. Well, I, listen, I appreciate you um, calling. Uh, you definitely uh, know your stuff and, uh, you know, are a big supporter of uh, the program as well. Uh, you know, I like to have this discussion and get as many perspectives as I can um, in terms of, the New Jersey discussion uh, that I have in, uh, in Rutgers taking this step. I, mean, I always mention, you know, what last year, and I agree with you, you mentioned actually earlier in the show, um, we were saying that you think Rutgers was being overlooked to the point of, you know, uh, it was it was kind of ridiculous, you know, four and eight and things like that, and almost expecting that they were going to be worse than, than the Indianas and Purdue's of, of the league just because, you know, they were coming from somewhere else. And and I always knew that Rutgers had that. They were going to shock and, and at least go six and six. Uh, but they proved and they won, you know, aside from the Penn State game, every game that they were supposed to win or were close to. I mean, they were underdog for UNC game. I mean, and they totally dominated that team. And the thing is, you know, here's a team, lots of three-star players, lots of decent players, but were blown out in the big games against Nebraska, you know, Ohio State, Michigan State, Wisconsin, the big dogs, right? And the difference between mm-hmm. those games is that what, what Rutgers does not have 
is the superstar player. You know, that four, five-star player, I'm not even talking about five-star, but four-star player, that's special, and we see it. You got guys like Carew. Those guys are all that pedigree, and they are special players. You don't have enough of them. And when you play Ohio State and when you play those teams that have Abdullah and guys that are just special, you, there's nothing you can do. They'll break tackles, they'll move, they'll, they'll get around you. You know, remember JT Barlow spun out of a sack, and it just changes the game. Rutgers has the opportunity to bring those players because there's a ton of those players out there in the state, and you see it, you know, watching um, Peppers here already playing for Michigan today. I mean, they're there in the state. My hometown, I here live. Uh, you know, you have uh, one of the best defensive tackles in the country. Uh, it's, you know, you have your quarterbacks, you have your running backs from Walker. What is it going to take for them to keep some of these players? And I don't even mean the top one or two because they have options, but some of the top ten that, that Flood is missing out. You know, it's all there. It's, it, it used to be, well, you're playing the Big East. We're now in the toughest, potentially toughest division in the country. You're going to play against Ohio State and Michigan and Penn State. You know, what else do you want? Why isn't that message getting across? Right, yeah, I think it comes down to really selling a vision through these kids. Um, you know, and quite honestly, I think it's part of New Jersey, too. Some kids grow up in New Jersey, and in New Jersey, we're such a self-loathing state that everyone's like, ah, you know, I want to get out of state for college. And that was the same way, honestly. Um, I had uh, I had originally, you know, originally I was like, you know what, I want to get out of state for college. I want to go somewhere else. Well, I went somewhere else for one semester, and I actually was a walk-on at a Division One AA football team, and I quit literally before camp even ended because I hated being out of the state of New Jersey. Um, I came back, and I came right back. I transferred right into Rutgers, and I was back at home. So I don't think these kids realize exactly what it's like to leave New Jersey until they actually leave New Jersey. Um, it happens, you know, year after year after year. You hear all these stories. These kids are freshmen in college who they were supposed to be stud football players. They go, they redshirt their freshman years, and all of a sudden, you hear rumors that they want to come back to New Jersey. But it's hard to really explain that to kids because when they're in high school, they're extremely impressionable, and they just kind of, you know, try to impress everybody else in high school. So if I'm in high school and I have offers from, let's say, Notre Dame, Ohio State, Michigan, and Rutgers, well, if I tell all the kids in school, you know, I'm going to go to Notre Dame, I'm going to go to Michigan, I'm going to go to Alabama, I'm going to go to Ohio State, well, that's the sexier name to say, right? That's a name where kids are going to say, oh, he's going to Ohio State to play football. They just won the national championship. But in reality, you know, what might truly be in their best interest is to go to Rutgers, get a great education, because worse comes to worse. If you don't get that, if you don't, you know, succeed in football, well, we have more than, you know, more Fortune 500 CEOs than any public school in America outside of Michigan. Um, so really there's a lot to, you know, be offered at Rutgers. It really comes down to selling a vision. So, if you ever see, you know, really Greg Schiano talk, um, I remember I was at some sort of banquet dinner, and Greg Schiano was a guest speaker there. And when he talked, the entire room was like, you know, wide-eyed, like this was a celebrity that walked in. I don't think Flood has that celebrity status yet, um, but I do think he's gaining that more and more. So I think it really comes down to a little bit about presence as well because, you know, we have it all here. You know, we have Big Ten football. We have big-time football. Um, we win our conference. We're going to go to the Final Four at this point. So, um, that's been proven by Ohio State last year, getting him with one loss and then running the table. So I think what it really comes down to is coming up with that vision, selling that vision, because saying, you know, we have a great education, saying that, you know, you can stay at home in front of your family, clearly just, you know, quite honestly hasn't worked. Um, that's been the recruiting pitch apparently and, you know, really just hasn't worked. So what it comes down to is, you know, building a presence, staying on these kids, outworking everybody else, um, and ultimately, you know, trying to sell a vision of that national championship. And it starts with the players. You know, you got to get one ringleader. I always I believe in that. Uh, got to get one ringleader in the class. Once that one guy goes, I think a few will follow. Um, it just it seems to me that nobody wants to be the first guy to go, if that makes sense to you. No, it doesn't. And I think, um, you know, the New Jersey discussion goes, uh, uh, you know, in, even in terms of, of – Geographics. I mean, it is it's a small state, and you, you know some of these states, whether you're in the Big Ten or you're out there. I mean, Penn State is out in you know the boonies, you know, and a lot of these you're still two, three hours away from home, but you're in state. You know, Rutgers. If you grow up in a, a suburban area or semi-urban area, you still are 35, 45 minutes away from home, and people just want to get away. I mean, that's that's a human instinct, and I think that's nothing wrong with that. But you also bring up another point that. And it's not just the players in, you know, amongst their friends. It's 
the family and the people around them. You know, when you hear like, oh yeah, you know my, uh, you know my son or my nephew got a letter from Alabama or my, you know, you know Michigan's looking at him. Yeah, it just still it takes so long to break down perception that it, it's really really an uphill battle, uh, and. You know, fortunately, you know, it's it's a shame when you look at last season where here they were, 8-5, and five, and all the predictions came out again this year, and they're being predicted to be last. And, again, against teams like, you know, I mentioned Indiana, Purdue, being picked over them for whatever reason that when someone writes down on a piece of paper, they just say, oh, well, that uh, Rutgers, you got to put them last. You know, and, and I think that's something that takes such a long time. But my only concern is, you look at a season like this where you have a beginning already with some issues on the depth and then you have potentially bringing a new quarterback. If they misstep, you know, will it become another avalanche? And, and uh, you know, I don't know whether Flood can survive that, but the program will definitely survive it because I think, like you said, there will be someone like a Seattle polarizing figure that comes in. Uh, be, someone will see the job for what it is. So I don't think we're ever in the position that we were many years ago, but uh, I don't know whether Flood can survive a, a slow start. Right, exactly. Yes, as I said before, I think you know this year really he he kind of burned up all his equity with these couple of things that just happened. So put up or shut up, and uh, it's unfortunate. But um, you know, and not to get on topic of talking about another coach, but a guy who's going to be a complete stud in my opinion. You know, once he gets to the BCS level, is you know our old guy PJ Flex. So um, you know, if, if he doesn't. Uh, if the Rutgers job, for whatever reason, opens, which I, you know, hope it doesn't, because I like Kyle Flood, but if it does open, um, that's definitely a guy I'd like to look at, because that guy's going to, you know, he's a monster on the recruiting trail. He's the one who really, I know people, you know, credit Halfley for bringing Carew in, but if you talk to Carew, he'll tell you, you know, P.J. Fleck was his guy. Yeah, no, I, I, I think I've heard nothing but great things about him. The only thing is I don't know whether when it happens, as you said, we don't want it to happen, right? But he wouldn't be ready right now in terms of, of the resume. And, uh, you know, other jumping from Northern Illinois to Rutgers. Actually, I mean, it happens a lot. I mean, Mac coaches going to other programs. So it is possible. But I, I don't know whether they would have uh, the gumption to do that and, you know, have people saying what, you know, or go for somebody that has a little bit of uh, a pedigree. But we'll see. Uh, let's not, you know, jump the gun on that because hopefully they, they win a whole lot of games and we don't have to deal with that anyway. Sure, yeah, and that that's the goal. So, um, coming, in, you know, talking about season prediction, coming into uh, coming into this year, you know, really you look at the schedule. Um, I, I was I, I've been, you know, looking up a whole bunch of the teams we're facing this year. Um, I'm watching Michigan right now, and honestly, Michigan looks awful. Um, their offense looks extremely easy to defend. They really don't have much of a passing threat, so. Even though we're at Michigan, we're playing in the big house. Um, the big house isn't what the big house used to be. They can't pack that place anymore. They get, you know, maybe if they're lucky, 70 to 75% capacity. I think that's another game we might be able to steal that people have, you know, marked down as a loss. At Wisconsin, I know we got completely dominated by them last year, but they lose some pieces out of the offensive line. The offensive line is also banged up. And Joel Stave, I mean, we can load that box up. And I think, you know, with the players – having the continuity of Joe Rossi being the defensive coordinator once again, which is something our defense really hasn't had in a couple of years, if you think about it. Um, really offense as well. We haven't really had stability in, with the coordinators. I think that's a big thing. Um, and I think we can load up the box, you know, work the right system. And think about it, you know, I think it was something crazy. Like our past 38 games, we've had a different opponent every single game. Um, to finally be playing a team for the second time in a two-year span is going to be something that's almost new to some of these players. Um, and I think that's big to have familiarity with the teams that you're playing, with the systems that they play, um, and to know exactly what to expect. So when you go into a game, you know what to expect. You can prepare for that. Um, whereas when you go into a game blind and you're like, you know, we've never played a team like this before, you have no idea what to expect. You might be going in a little wide-eyed. So um, no, that's a great, that's a, it's a, it's a great, great point. And uh, yeah, you know, we might right, be able to being steal three, one from, uh, like Michigan. Yeah, one of those games that'll make a big difference. Well, listen, I'm um, you know almost done with our hour. I appreciate you uh, calling and um, coming on the show. I hope to hear from you again in the future. You have the the same information, and I, I usually do this around uh, Thursday night. So thanks again for calling. Sure, absolutely. I'll look out for it on Twitter. Thank you. Take care. All right, bye. So thanks again uh, for those who are listening. Um, you know, a little bit of an impromptu. As I said, I wasn't expecting to do a show today, but a lot to talk about. Appreciate that call. I appreciate Sam coming on uh, 
earlier. So uh, another edition of the R Big Show. Next week, um, we'll start again uh, talking a little segment of some Big Ten and seeing what's going on with some of our opponents. Uh, and, you know, of course, we'll talk, you know, Washington State, which, uh, you know, uh, these are the games, you know, whether it's stealing one game against Michigan or Nebraska or Wisconsin, uh, you know, in order for Rutgers to have uh, to go bowling as well as have a good game, Washington State will be an important game. But uh, let's start off with a good uh, showing against Norfolk State. So, guys, thanks for listening. Talk to you uh, next week.